You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I survived week one of Bandcamp. I'm really proud of you, but you still have one week to go. One week to go. One week down, one week to go, and then one week of freedom to jam as many M19 drafts as possible before school starts. But this is the last week we're going to be talking about M19. (laughs) Get out of here. We have lots of weeks to talk about M19. (laughs) We're not talking about this format anymore. (laughs) Still still being unkind to you then, huh? Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, it's not even that bad. Like, I'm not losing that bad. I just am not having... I think, in all honesty, this is just the least amount of fun I have had playing Magic, like, since we started the podcast. Oh, brutal. Yeah, I mean, it's still Magic. I'm still enjoying streaming and still enjoying playing, but... Uh, just comparatively, but whatever. I, I'm not. I'm not here to. I, I can. I whine enough on the stream. I don't need to whine on the podcast. <laughs> How are things going with you in the world of the magics? Were you able to play much this week? I played a little bit. I've only done five more drafts, but I had some three trophies in there, so still Good still crushing it. God, yeah. So I'm now on the. If we check in on the leaderboard, I'm at 18 drafts, nine trophies. A 45 and nine overall record for an 83 percent win rate. That is. Incredible. Uh, I am at 54 drafts. We're going for quantity over quality here. And I have 13 trophies. My record is 100 to 56 for a 64% win rate. Just slightly below what I'm I'm used to to having. Yeah. And it, that's only a couple three O's away from just getting straight right back to 56. Yeah. Or 66 yeah. rather. 60, 56%. That's <clears throat> what we all strive for. <laughs> um, so we're going to take a look at diving into some of the archetypes in the format, the the color pairs and what they want to do, some signals to get into those decks. Ben has a lot of trophies under his belt in comparison to the number of drafts he's done at least. And uh, I'm really looking forward to pick his brain about what's been working for him, what cards he considers signals to get into certain archetypes. But before we get into any of that, we want to talk about the Patreon. And boy, howdy, is it blowing up each and every week. I feel like we're becoming a broken record. But I got to say, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, the place to give back to the show. If you so choose, the show will always be free. But if you want to show us some support with your dollar dollar bills, uh, we like to give something back to you. And the Discord... That's the place to be to talk about Limited. I just can't imagine any other place that is so active. You know, uh, Stunlock posted something the other morning where he was like, he showed all the chats in our uh, <laughs> Lords of Limited Discord. And there's like a dot next to each chat room where there's a message you haven't seen yet. And he was just like, you guys are insane. I go to bed, I've read everything. And then I wake up and there is a dot next to each room. I mean, people are just constantly talking about Limited. If you want feedback on your deck in real time from other addicted, degenerate drafters like yourself, that's where you want to be. You want feedback from me and Ben. That's where you want to be. Um, it's a great, great place to talk about formats, especially early on. Uh, we've got some higher tier rewards for you as well. If you want to uh, get access to copies of our show notes to see sort of the show in written form, if you want access to a pre-show recording to get a little behind the scenes about how the show is made, those are available to you as well. And we want to make sure that we shout out everyone who joins each and every week. So we've got a lot of people to welcome. So strap in, boys and girls. We want to thank Bob, Jeff, Blue Moss, Jesse, Sander, Adele, Colin, Julian, Alexander, Sherwin, Christopher, Christian, Mitch, Todd, David, Roger, Alex, and Lionel. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Your support means the world to us. Yeah, it's insane that we're having this many new patrons. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
And the Patreon is rapidly becoming my new favorite place when I have like 10 minutes or 15 minutes to kill. It used to be Twitter. Now it's the Lords of Limited Discord. That's how I got my fix when I couldn't draft as much as I wanted this week during Bandcamp. Yeah, it's a really great place to just like pop in and be like, oh, I want to like take a look at a draft log or I want to take a look at what's been trophying recently or, oh, people have like a what's the play that I can puzzle through. It's yeah, there's a lot there for you to mull over. All right. So I've got a roundtable here, Ben, that I think might be a good springboard for our discussion this afternoon. So you ready to take a seat? I am. All righty. So here we go. Sitting down. Pack one, pick one. Cards in consideration are... Avon Wind Mage, two and a blue for a 2-2 with flying. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Poison Tip Archer, two black green for the 2-3 with reach, death touch, and whenever another creature dies, each opponent loses one life. Hyromancer's Cage, three and a white for the enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls until it leaves the battlefield. And your rare is Valiant Knight, three and a white for a three, four. Other knights you control get plus one, plus one. And three white, white activated ability. Knights you control gain double strike until end of turn. Yeah, I'm going to quickly rule out Avon Wind Mage. It's not on the power level of these other three cards here. So between Poison Tip Archer, Hyromancer's Cage, and Valiant Knight, I'm going to rule out Poison Tip Archer because it's a gold card. I'm generally trying to avoid taking gold cards like in the first couple picks of the draft because I think you give up a lot of flexibility if you do that. So between Valiant Knight and Hyromancer's Cage, they're both white cards, both very good. One's a removal spell, one's a very good threat. I think I'm going to give the nod to Valiant Knight just because there's synergy. If you get Gallant Cavalry, the three and a white make two, two, two Vigilance Knight things. And the threat of activation on it is very real as well. So it's almost a four mana, three power, pseudo unblockable. I think it's strong enough that I would take it over the Hiremancer's Cage here. Yeah, I'm going to second everything you said, and I grabbed Valiant Knight as well. Moving on to pack one, pick two, cards in consideration. There's Druid of the Cowl, my fave, one on a green for a 1-3 Elf Druid that taps to add green. There's a Novice Knight, probably worth mentioning considering we have the Knight Lord, a single white for a 2-3 Human Knight with Defender. As long as it's enchanted or equipped, it can attack as though it didn't have Defender. There's Bone to Ash, two blue-blue for the instant counter-target creature spell draw card. And I don't know how this made its way to me, but someone passed me a Gin of Wishes, three blue-blue for the 4-4 with flying. Uh, It enters the battlefield with three wish counters on it, and you can pay two blue-blue to remove a wish counter, reveal the top card of your library, and play the card without paying its mana cost. Yeah, that's pretty insane seeing a Gin of Wishes still here. And somebody, there's an uncommon missing. So somebody took an uncommon over it. It's got to be murder. That's all I could think of. Even that I don't think is correct. I would take Gin of Wishes over any uncommon, I think. Maybe Dryad Green Seeker, but no. Gin of Wishes is insane. Yeah, I would take Gin over any uncommon, I think. Yeah, so Windmill Slamming Gin of Wishes here and not much discussion, I don't think. Agreed. I think the discussions are about to come up in the next couple picks. So pick three with a couple rares under your belt. You see a Snapping Drake, three and a blue for the 3-2 with flying. You see a Gallant Cavalry, that card you were talking about, three and a white for the 2-2, Human Knight with Vigilance, and when it enters the battlefield, you make a 2-2 White Knight creature token with Vigilance. Essence Scatter, one and a blue for the instant counter-target creature spell. And another rare, uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this card, a Johnny's Last Stand, two white-white for an enchantment. Whenever a creature or planeswalker you control dies, you may sacrifice a Johnny's Last Stand. If you do, create a 4-4 white avatar creature token with flying. And then it's got some text about it. Uh, If you have to discard this card from a spell or ability and opponent controls, you get to make a 4-4 white avatar creature token with flying. Yeah, I don't think a Johnny's Last Stand is particularly good. The second clause is essentially irrelevant. I mean, unless you get lucky and your opponent mind rots you. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and the first text, this is not a four mana, four, four flyer. It is far from that. Uh, your opponent largely has control over when this triggers. Um, and I think that's a knock against it. I mean, it's a good card. You're rarely cutting it from your white decks. But for example, I think pack one, pick one, I would take Starkround Stag over Johnny's Last Stand. Yeah, I don't know what it is about the card. There's also the amount of bounce floating around in blue with the disperse and the the mana war. Feels like there's too much setup cost and then too much of a liability having that powerful token floating around. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to rule that out here. So, And I'm also ruling out Snapping Drake. For me, this comes down to Essence Scatter and Gallant Cavalry. Gallant Cavalry synergizes well with our Valiant Knight, which is awesome. Like last week, we were preaching synergy on the episode. Mm-hmm. But Essence Scatter... We don't know that we're going to be white yet, or like specifically, we don't know that we're going to be blue white. We could be white X. We could be blue X. Who knows? And if we take gallant cavalry here, we've got two four drops and a five drop. um, And that makes me lean towards essence scatter. I think it's just a better card in a vacuum than gallant cavalry. And it's lower on the curve and it's going to be outstanding. And I think of our two rares, Gin of Wishes is much better than Valiant Knight, which also makes me lean towards essence scatter. And then you brought up the point in the pre-show of like, if we end up blue white, Knight tribal is not what we want our blue white deck to look like. We want to be artifact synergy, right? Correct. The other point that I want to bring up is that I think it's important here the order of which we've taken these rares because us taking Valiant Knight isn't any kind of signal. Us getting past Gin of Wishes is a kind of signal. And vice versa, I think getting past Valiant Knight would be a kind of signal, probably not as strong as I consider getting past Gin of Wishes. But that just makes me even if I thought Essence Scatter and Gallant Cavalry were closer in power level, which I don't, I think Essence Scatter is, you know, probably at least a gradation better than Gallant Cavalry. That makes me want to take the Essence Scatter just to pair it up with blue, assuming that getting past these blue cards means something. All right, so moving on to pack one, pick four, we're both in agreement here. Cards in consideration, well, we've got another Gallant Cavalry, the three and a white, two, two, Vigi Knight. There's an Electrify, three and a red for an instant. Electrify deals four damage to target creature. There's a cancel, one blue-blue for an instant counter-target spell. And Enigma Drake, one blue-red for the star four Drake with flying. And its power is equal to the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. Yeah, so those are four like fairly reasonable options there. Uh, Gallant Cavalry again pairs up with our Valiant Knight. Electrify is just a generically good card. Cancel, I think, is weak enough that I'm not particularly interested in it here. If it were an essence scatter, we'd be talking cancel, not quite so much. And then Enigma Drake is a huge sign for me here. Seeing this fourth, like if I start to see the gold uncommons fourth or so, that's when I'm starting to say, okay, like maybe the three drafters to my right aren't blue red. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, like I can be fairly confident I'm going to get hooked up in blue and red in pack three, or at least one of the two colors. So again, like we could take Gallant Cavalry to pair up with our Valiant Knight, but I don't think that's really what Blue White wants to be doing. And it's making our curve clunkier, like we've got a couple four drops. And we also haven't seen so far in the draft any of the three Musketeers, which is Starcrown Stag, Angel of the Dawn, and Pegasus Courser. Like Gallant Cavalry is like, I don't know, the sixth, seventh best white common. So I don't know that it's like necessarily a signal here. Yeah, and that's saying a lot about white, that Gallant Cavalry, which is a card I think you and I both like quite a bit, is like the seventh best white common. I mean, it's a very good card, but I think all, all told, I'm just seeing this Enigma Drake and I'm going to take that as a signal that maybe I should be trying to draft blue red, snap it up here and see what comes. I could always still move off of it and I would be trying to solidify myself past the Enigma Drake here, taking as many blue cards as possible just to give me flexibility down the road. 
Yeah, I agree completely, and I grabbed the Enigma Drake, and I was rewarded pretty handsomely this draft. Ended the draft with two Enigma Drakes and four Avon Wind Mages. That's the common uh, two and a blue, two, two with flying and cares about spells being cast. The deck was sweet. It, it just barely managed to, to not trophy, which was unfortunate, but uh, it was a really, really strong deck. And it was the first time I drafted this deck, and so there were times when I was, wasn't sure like if I wanted the payoffs like the Wind Mages, I had a lot of like Wind Mage versus Electrify or Wind Mage versus an Essence Scatter sort of thing. And I was unclear whether I wanted the payoffs or the enablers for the deck, you know? Um, so I feel like more experience, more reps with that deck might help me figure that out in the future. My guess would be the spells first. See, my experience was I, I went the opposite route. <laughs> Maybe that led to why the deck wasn't quite able to trophy but I felt like those are there's so few and far between. It's basically Gutter Snipe, Enigma Drake, and Avon Wind Mage. And then if you don't have a choice between those, then you're just taking spells or like some curve fillers. Right, right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the deck was sweet. Really, really plays out like a like a dream, I would say. So we're going to move into talking about all 10 color pairs today. And much like how we looked at signals in that draft at the round table, look at how cards tell us what color pair our seat wants us to be. So we're going to go through these uh, general notes you have about how you've been getting into decks in this format. Ben, what do you got here for us? Yeah. So this, I was just trying to articulate what I've been generally doing as far as drafting, because I've had a lot of people ask me on stream and things like that. The first thing I've been trying to do is draft generically powerful, like single colored cards early. So either bombs, single colored removal, really good two drops like Drew to the Cowl or Essence Scatter, or maybe occasionally taking a flyer on a gold card like picks one or two out of a very weak pack. But in general, I want to be one color as far as I can into M19 until I get a reason to be two colors. And I'm trying to identify whatever color seems most open to me. And what that does for you in M19, in my opinion, is it allows you to sort of take advantage and give yourself time to read the table and maybe get past a later gold uncommon in a color pair to move in. Or if you can last all the way through pack one very solidly in one color, you can open a good rare or get past a good rare in pack two. I think the name of the game in M19 draft for me so far is I want to try to find what two color pair my seat is doing. So I've only splashed once so far in 18 drafts. And I've been very, very happy being two colors because I think the rewards, like the synergy, we've talked about how good synergy was and synergy exists self-contained within two color pairs. Yeah, that's been my experience as well. And I love, love, love splashing. And I just don't think the payoffs are there. I mean, partially what I've talked about before is that most of the things that you, the powerful things that you would want to splash are double colored cost. So you need like two to three gift of paradise to make that work. And the things that you might want to splash like powerful gold uncommons. Like if we think back to Dominaria, may she rest in peace. We think about the times when we were blue black and we splashed Tatyova because that was just such a bomb and it was so good in any deck. Like Aerial Engineer, the white blue uncommon, that's not good in any deck. I can't be blue green and splash that generally because then I'm like jamming a bunch of artifacts in my blue green deck for this white blue payoff card. It doesn't really work. Like the, the color pairs really sort of highlight what that gold uncommon is trying to do. And so it really fits well in that color pair. And it's not something that you really want to splash around for. So unless it's just like removal, you can splash that like a Hieromancer's cage or something. But then you really need good fixing for that. And it just doesn't exist. Right. That and the fixing is taking up slots in your deck that aren't synergistic with what the rest of your color pair is trying to do. I think Manolith and Gift of Paradise feel like they're taking up 
actual card slots in your deck. Right. I And I have this so funny because I think, so I think Gift of Paradise, as we'll talk about later, you know, that's like slight, slight, slight synergy in the green-white Aura's deck because it does trigger the Seder Enchanter. <laughs> Uh-oh. I deleted Gift of Paradise off of our list. <laughs> You've never played with three Seder Enchanters. I haven't. You're right. So that's a real thing, I think. And I also think Manalith in an Artifact Matters deck is not the most embarrassing thing. Like, if I see Blue-White playing a Manalith, I don't necessarily think they're splashing. I think they're trying to turn on their Artifact Matters cards. I think they've got a an animator or something, or they've got a couple engineers that they want to curve into. I think those cards more often slot in Synergy decks than they do in taking up slots in a deck to splash around. I would feel pretty unhappy if I were in a Blue-White deck and had a Manalith in my deck. I think, there's, I think a good Blue-White deck has better artifacts to play than that. So I think you're probably slightly sad about the Manalith in there. That's fair. The other thing, so going back to trying to stay one color, the other thing that allows you to do, like let's say you've managed to stay mostly green for pack one. Frequently this week, white was being really heavily contested. And now granted, I only did five drafts, so it might have been an anomaly or whatever, but white was pretty contested and I was not able to get into white in pack one despite trying to. And when I stayed one color in pack one, it allowed me to like reap the benefits of my neighbors cutting white in pack one in pack two. And I was able to hop on the white train in pack two and get enough white in pack two to still be able to play white X, which I think is one of the better decks in the format. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I think you and I have the four white decks as the four best decks in the format. Yeah. And then the other thing, you know, I try to wait as long as possible to sort of decide my direction. And a lot of what dictates that is what's wheeling. So maybe I've got, you know, a color like blue and I'm wheeling cards that push me in a certain direction. Like I might wheel an aviation pioneer. And that makes me think that card shouldn't be wheeling because somebody should be drafting the artifacts deck. And if that is wheeling, maybe the blue white artifacts is open. Or if I'm blue and I'm wheeling an Aven wind mage, like I don't think that should be wheeling unless blue red spells is open. And we'll we'll list a lot of these cards that go up in value in certain decks that maybe aren't standout commons. But I think if you're wheeling some of these cards that go up in value in certain decks, that might be a clue that, hey, maybe this deck is open and I should take this card and feel out if I can get into that color pair. Yeah. And then once you know what deck you're in, that generally happens probably somewhere around the beginning to middle of pack two, I would say. Once you know what color pair you're in, then you want to start taking those synergistic picks over generically good cards. So for example, I think Angel of the Dawn is a much more powerful card than Gearsmith Guardian. But if I'm in blue, white artifacts, I probably want Gearsmith Guardian, depending on the number of blue creatures I have in my pile, over that angel because it's going to do so much to synergize with the rest of the pieces of that deck. Yeah, I'm generally deciding what I'm doing either on the wheel in pack one or very early in pack two. That's generally when I'm solidifying myself. Occasionally, it's been later than that, but that's generally the time it happens. Yeah, unfortunately, the format, like the depth of cards, I think there's just such a steep drop off in power level after the first few picks that I think you want to know what you're doing probably by the beginning of pack two so that you can reap the benefits of those first few powerful card picks. Because the, the power level does drop off. I mean, once you're picking between commons, unless your color pair is insanely open, and that's the ideal situation. Um, but when you're not seeing like super powerful uncommons go late, you know, picking between commons, depending on what colors you're in, can be kind of sad news. Right. But I think that's where the benefit of identifying the open color pair comes in, because you can, I think, if you're the only blue-white drifter, I think you can expect to get some of those insanely good uncommon artifact payoff cards very late. Or if you're 
the only Colossal Majesty drafter. I think you can expect to get a Colossal Majesty late. That's the two green enchantment that if you control a creature with power four greater during your upkeep, you get a draw card, stuff like that. I think you get rewarded for trying to find the deck that no one else is drafting because they are powerful cards that only specific deck ones. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's let's dive right in here. You want to take a look at blue green as our first archetype? Yeah, let's do it. I think there's two different decks in blue green. And the first one I think is sort of like a deck with a lot of cheap interaction from blue, like disperse and essence scatter, plus the efficient beaters in green, like centaur courser, the two green three, three, the boar, uh, the three and a green for the four, three that can only be blocked by one creature. I really want to beat down with power and toughness with my green cards and interact with my cheap blue cards and try to double spell that way. Um, So if you can like stick a threat, hold up an essence scatter in a turn, that's going to be a huge swing in the game. And then the other thing I think blue green can do is build like an early defense slash ramp deck that sort of goes over the top if you get a rare payoff like Palaka Worm. Um, And you can use the card draw from blue Elvish Rejuvenator to help you ramp a little bit, uh, get a little bit of value that way and a chump blocker. And then you can use Drew to the Cowl you know, again, ramping you, Omen Speaker, helping you find your land drops, that sort of stuff to get you into the late game where you can try to draw into your Plaka Worm and go over the top of whatever your opponent's doing. So I think there's two different ways to build blue-green. Yeah, I guess, so when I initially put these archetypes together, blue-green is the one that still feels elusive to me, and I guess it's just because I don't feel like I can put it in like a neat little package. Like, I agree with all the things that you're saying about the two different kinds of decks and how blue and green can go together in this format, but unlike the other color pairs, it doesn't feel like you get to go like, blue-green is this deck, and it's evidenced by the uncommon and that's what it's trying to do and you can see these other commons that go up in value in that deck there aren't there i don't feel like there's an aviation pioneer variant for blue green that makes me go oh i should be in blue white artifacts there's just like good blue cards and then i get good green cards and then i'm a good blue green deck right i agree i agree completely there's not a lot of card to card synergy in blue green i think your synergy comes from like either building a focused beatdown deck where your cards work together with a plan or building a focused control deck where your cards all work towards going towards the late game. That's sort of the synergy there. But and, and as admittedly is much less so than the other color pairs. So uh, we're going to be listing a lot of cards for each archetype. So just a disclaimer, we can't read every single card or I think the episode is really going to bog down. So we're going to rattle off some cards here and just talk about why they might go up in value or things like that. So cards that go up in value in blue green aggro. Uh, there's some cheap interaction in blue that really goes up disperse and essence scatter. There's beaters in Centaur Courser like Bristling Boar, some of those low-cost, high-power toughness creatures. There's ways to push through your creatures like Sleep and Departed Deckhand. I think Sleep frequently ends games in blue-green because you generally have a lot of power and toughness on the battlefield. I think that's one of the best homes for Sleep. And Departed Deckhand allows you to really push through you know, a Colossal Dreadmaw or something like that. Four mana to make your 6-6 or your 5-5 unblockable is a very, very quick way to end the game. I would also add Declare Dominance on this list as a way to push through damage or end games. Sure, yeah. I was. I, I don't think of that one as specific to blue-green, but yeah, I mean, Declare Dominance is insane. What about cards that go up in ramp or control? Yeah, I think there's, you know, cards that help you play early defense as well as help you hit land drops or ramp you a little bit. So that would be like Dryad Green Seeker, Omen Speaker, Druid of the Cowl, Elvish Rejuvenator. And then you want some card draw from blue, again, to keep your cards flowing, hit your land drops, find your expensive cards. So things like Sift and Divination, and then some defensive cards that maybe don't excel in other decks like Giant Spider really helps you shore up your game against flyers, blocks well. And then 
you ideally want some good uncommon and rare finishers, but if you can't, still here to get the job done, Colossal Dreadmaw. <laughs> and what cards are you considering as signals for this archetype? Uh, for me, the number one is Skyrider Patrol. If I'm seeing that sort of anytime, pick three, four later, uh, and I've got, you know, all green cards or all blue cards up to that point, I'm glad to grab Skyrider Patrol and start to try to draft blue-green. Sleep steers me slightly towards blue-green because it really wants power and toughness on the battlefield, and I think green offers that better than any other color. And getting a rare that costs a lot, that has a big effect, like a Palaka Worm or something like that, is really an incentive for me to try to draft like that ramp controlling blue-green strategy. So I think just identifying what your cards are trying to push you towards and be aware that there's sort of two different ways to build that deck. Moving on to blue-white artifacts. This is, I think, one of both of our favorite decks in the format. Uh, this takes advantage of Thopter Makers and the few strong artifacts in the set and the various payoffs for having those artifacts. This is a little tricky to draft because it can kind of feel like a three-color deck needing both blue and white cards and good artifacts. Um, so we want to take a look at what those maybe good artifacts are, because there are some clunkers in the format, but you want to take a look at what things are worth putting in your deck. And top of that list, I think, is Aviation Pioneer. This card is, I think, just really the bread and butter of this deck. It's really on curve, because a lot of your payoffs for artifacts come later on four mana or maybe five mana. So this is really nice to leave behind a little body and give you a little thopter. Uh, other cards that are good, Gearsmith Guardian and Sky Scanner at Common. Those are really the only two, I think, that, that we're really happy about at Common in this format. And then there's a handful of good uncommons. You've got Diamond Mare, Fountain of Renewal, even if you can maybe even get a Johnny's Pride Mate in your deck to get both artifact synergies and life gain synergies. Gargoyle Sentinel, Suspicious Bookcase, and Arcane Encyclopedia, I think has a home in some draft decks in this format, even though it's a powerhouse and sealed for sure. Uh, cards that go up in value in this archetype. Aviation Pioneer, again, at the top of that list, really, really strong, again, as an engine for the deck. Scholar of Stars is a card that I have liked, and I know you don't think this card is very good. So let me let me talk about that for a second. And here's here's why. I think there's a lot of moving pieces in this deck. Uh -huh. You need removal, and then you need the blue and white like payoff cards for having the artifacts. You want the blue-white gold card. You want the three drop that turns your artifact into a five, five. You want the four drop that gives an artifact plus two, plus two and indestructible. You want like six to seven artifacts. So I think if I have to choose between like a removal spell and scholar of stars, I want the removal spell in my deck and doing work to build like a four mana, three, two that draws you a card like rocks Oracle in green is just a five mana, four, two that draws you a card with no work. I think you're jumping through a lot of hoops for an effect that's minor. Like if I happen to wheel a Scholar of Stars, great. I'm not, I just am not going out of my way to pick up a Scholar of Stars. So that last statement I 100% agree with. I think that's one of the benefits of finding that blue-white is your deck is that you get this ninth pick. So let me ask you this. Would you rather have Trusty Pack Beast or Scholar of Stars in your artifacts deck? Scholar of Stars. See, I think I would rather have, I think I would rather have Trusty Pack Beast. So I'd be curious to know, because I, I went back, because I saw this statement in the show notes this morning, and I was like, maybe I just have this idea in my head, because I feel like when my opponents cast it and they get to draw a card, I feel really bad. A 3-2 on the board is relevant, and it replaces itself, and I, that just feels bad to me. So I was like, let me go back and look at my blue-white trophy decks and see how many of them have included Scholar of Stars. And three of the four of them had Scholar of Stars, one or two copies of them. And I think none had Trusty Pack Beast, maybe one. I'll have to go back and look. But I think if Pack Beast is really maybe more of a sideboard card, if I feel like I need the, or 
curve filler as a three mana two three. I, I don't know that that card seems less exciting to me because the ideal curve is like Skyscanner or Pioneer into Scholar of Stars. Trusty Pack Beast, you're playing that on like turn nine or something. Yeah, I want to go like artifact card into one of the uncommon four drops more than Scholar of Stars. I think there's probably only I guess what a better way to phrase it is I think there's probably only room for one, maybe two Scholar of Stars in a good blue white deck. Like I think if your blue white deck has five Scholar of Stars in it, you're probably doing it wrong. I agree with that for sure. Yeah, that, that's a better way to articulate it. I want to make a comment though about you're like, I'd rather have removal spells. What removal spells in blue white? Luminous Bonds, Hiromancer's Cage. But you get like one of those, like or two of those. You get a cage and a bonds or two bonds. Like you're not, you don't, you're not excited about three luminous bonds. I don't think. Oh, I am. Really? Yeah. Maybe that's what I'm doing wrong. I still am, am with the like, unless I'm playing against like blue green or something where I can just like put it on a snapping drake. Like luminous bonds does nothing against the black white deck. It like only does something against dumb creatures. And it's embarrassed by blue bounce or naturalize effects which are also main deckable yeah i i I don't know i've been playing decks that really want to attack and getting to remove a blocker has been very good like having luminous bonds in a deck that's wanting to attack has been good like getting it like if you're closing the game out in one to two turns after you cast your luminous bonds you close the window for a lot of that bad stuff to happen to you that's fair that is something i'm notoriously not good at is attacking to win games of magic (laughs) (laughs) moving on uh to other cards that go up in value in this archetype you really nailed this sort of in our set review that switcheroo is not just a good card on its own and i think it is most at home in blue white where you've got a bunch of little tokens floating around or you've got aviation pioneer's body floating around to throw at your opponent and get their best creature Um, but i think switcheroo is maybe secretly a blue white gold card Uh, we've got trusty pack beast on the list we've got sky scanner gearsmith guardian and i think explosive apparatus this is really the only deck that i'm happy to main deck explosive apparatus in and i'm still kind of sad about it like i'll play one begrudgingly Mm -hmm. in my blue white artifact deck and it's also awkward because like Really, you're putting it in there as an artifact that sits on the battlefield, because if you have to crack it, right, like, that probably means you already have another artifact or you just don't get to crack it. Like It's a tough choice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, ideally, it's something that sits on the battlefield to like turn six until you've got something else there and then you can use it to pick off. I mean, ideally snapping Drake or, you know, some X2 that's hanging out on your opponent's battlefield. Right. And how about signal cards for blue white? How have you been getting into the deck? So aerial engineer, I think, has gone up and up and up for me as we've sort of figured out that synergy is strong. And I think that this blue white deck is very strong. So seeing that like pick three or later is, is a good signal for me. Um, late aviation pioneers give me a, a sense that, that if blue is what my C wants to do, that perhaps the blue white or the blue artifact matters cards are where I want to be. Gearsmith guardians going late skilled animator, I think is pretty strong. I think that card's gone up for me. I really only want it if I've got a bunch of thopters floating around because getting to have hasty five, five flyers is very strong. I don't particularly think making like a field creeper into a five, five is a good move. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, no, I agree completely. That has not been good for me. My skilled animator have only been successful when I've been animating a Thopter. Aethershield Artificer, I think, is a lot better than I thought, but this deck can really get clogged in the four drop slot. You can really have a lot of moving pieces. A lot of your payoffs are at four mana. And I think while this is strong, again, I'm going to want like a Diamond Mare or I'm going to want some Thopters at the three drop slot before I'm super excited about this card, but seeing that pick four later. And then as we talked about, Wheeling Scholar of Stars, getting late Trusty Pack Beasts, that sort of thing. This is one of the, the most rewarding. It's I think it's the hardest deck to draft. And I think it's one of the most rewarding when you get the right mix of payoffs, removal, and good artifacts. 
And one of the nice things about it is you feel like you get the signals at uncommon when you can read signals like between pick four and pick six. And then you get the confirmation on the wheel when the common engine pieces are coming around. Uh, but one thing to be careful of is you have to make yourself pick the good artifact cards. You have oh, to. Yeah. Like there have been a couple times I've been drafting this deck and I just have not ended up with enough artifacts. All right, moving on. Next up, we've got Red Black Sacrifice. Uh, this deck sort of takes advantage of the synergy between Active Treason and the various Sacrifice outlets, creatures that recur themselves, Gravedigger, that sort of stuff, uh, and tokens like Goblin Instigator are also at home here. So we've got cards that go up in value in this archetype. Obviously, the headliner, Active Treason, that's how you steal your opponent's creatures and then sacrifice it. We've got some various Sac outlets at common or uncommon. That would be Ravenous Harpy, Blood Divination, that would be an expensive way. Seven mana to sack an opponent's creature to draw three cards, but that would feel great. And then Thud, a single red to sacrifice a creature to deal damage to any target equal to its power. I did not know Thud could go to the dome until I got tough domed in a game of Magic, which felt bad. That does feel bad. And then, you know, sort of creatures of your own to sacrifice, maybe to your sack outlets, Goblin Instigators, uh, Dragon Egg, you can sacrifice to get yourself a 2-2 Flyer, Doom Descender, you can sacrifice to get a 2-2 Body, um, reassembling skeleton you can keep sacrificing you know over and over and over goes infinite with ravenous harpy to make a very gigantic harpy so all of those things and i watched you play a red black synergy deck that i didn't think quite had enough synergy but it turned out very very strong um i was i was impressed so ways to get into the deck i'm sort of looking for brawl bash ogre that's like the gold headliner uncommon if I see that pick four later again, like I've got some red cards, some black cards, that's going to make me want to try to draft red, black, maybe ravenous harpy sometime like pick six through eight. I know you're just on ravenous harpy is a good card, and I think I'm starting to come around to that. Can I make a little pitch for why ravenous harpy is just a good card? Do it. So I think that you only need to activate it once for it to be like above rate, a three mana, two, three flyer you'd be thrilled with in this format, I think. And there's two common removal spells that are enchantments luminous bonds and dwindle that you can just like get value from immediately so that's not a lot of work for you to do responding to a removal spell is not a lot of work and there's you don't need a, a lot of things to put in your, your deck for this to be good like throwing a doom dissenter in there which is maybe not the most exciting but you know that there's some synergy there for you so i don't think you need a lot of work or to sacrifice some token or some creature that is no longer relevant to turn this into a two three and then that threat of activation on the board for the rest of the game is a real headache for your opponent. Yeah, yeah. Dark Dweller Oracle is a rare, and we're trying not to list rares much here, but I think this is an important one because there are so few sack outlets. So if I see that pick three or later, that's the one in red for the 2-2 that you can sacrifice a creature to exile the top card of your library and cast it that turn. That makes me want to draft Red Black Sacrifice and Wheeling Active Treasons once I already have a Sacrifice Outlet drafted. So if I've got a Brawl Bash Ogre, if I've got a Ravenous Harpy and then I see an Active Treason Wheel, I'm probably going to move in on Red Black. And the other thing when I was streaming last night, shout out to Sasha, ahead dude on Twitch. He was talking about he's been drafting Red Black decks that take advantage of the synergy with Spark Tongue Dragon and Abnormal Endurance. So if your Spark Tongue Dragon dies or would die and you go to Abnormal Endurance it, you're turning Abnormal Endurance into a five mana deal three draw card, essentially, because when Spark Tongue Dragon re-enters the battlefield, the ability triggers and you can pay three and deal three damage to any target. And he said that's been a pretty abusive combo for him to take advantage of in red-black decks that maybe don't get there on the actual act of treason sacrifice plan. Man, Abnormal Endurance is such a good card. I really, really like it. 
All right, next color pair we want to talk about is red-green four power creatures. So there are three payoffs for this deck, two of them at rare. There's Goreclaw, Terror of Calcisma, Sarkhan's Unsealing, and Colossal Majesty at Uncommon. So these cards want you to play as many four power creatures as you can and reap the benefits of those engines. I think Colossal Majesty is really the main reason to draft the deck because it's at Uncommon. The other two being at rare makes it a little tougher. So I think cards that go up in value in this archetype are shockingly going to be four power creatures. Uh, the headliners, I would say, are Rock's Oracle is nice because it's drawing you a card as well and so doesn't feel like it's costing you a card and it's a huge engine for that deck. Uh, Havoc Devils is a, a four power creature in red. Inferno Hellion, that's for the, like the big wombo combo with uh, Sarkhan's Unsealing, getting to wrath your opponent's board when you play that. Bristling Boar, just another good card that maybe goes slightly up in value in this deck. Onaki Ogre, this is the kind of the scholar of stars of this deck. This is the, the card you want to be wheeling because hopefully no other deck wants a three mana four two. Other creatures with four power are great. And Druid of the Cowl, I think really goes up in this deck because getting to go from two to four is very strong. Being able to drop a Bristling Boar on turn three is really great for this deck to be able to get out ahead. And what about signal cards? Like, how are you actually deciding to end up in red-green? Well, you know, it often happens that I'm a pile of green cards and I see a Colossal Majesty. That's one way to get into that deck. So one of these, these three payoff cards, but Colossal Majesty is the most common because I think it's really going to go to slot into green-red and sometimes green-black, and we'll talk about that when we get to green-black in a little bit. So the, these three payoff cards are really the ways to get into it because you can't really be the red green four power deck without having one of these cards because then you're just a pile of cards so it's unfortunate if you do end up sort of like drafting this deck and then not seeing a colossal majesty but it does feel like if you are in this deck and a colossal majesty is opened at your table it's going to make its way to you and the card is really strong and definitely worth building around yeah, I am scared when my opponent plays Colossal Majesty <laughs> and they're playing green. Yeah. Cuz that's the thing that that deck is lacking is card draw. And so it gives you a free card draw engine while you're playing these threats that are larger than what your opponent can deal with. Right. You just put your opponent in population chump down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next on the list, we've got red, white aggro or red, white go wide. Neither of us have still drafted this deck. I still have not drafted red in the format. That's incredible. This deck sort of uses, but we have had a lot of discussions about it in Discord. So I do feel like fairly familiar with the deck and I've played against it a lot. So this deck uses aggressive creatures in white and the token makers in both colors to sort of build up a board presence and close out the game with some of the cards like Inspired Charge or things like that. A lot of people think this might be the best deck in the format. I'm not there yet, but I do think this is a very strong deck because it's white. A huge strength of this deck to me is that it's almost all commons and uncommons and a lot of the best cards in it are commons so i think if it's red and white or open you can get yourself in this deck and you can draft a great version of the deck i tend to think of this more as just like a red white beatdown deck that maybe happens to go wide some of the time i'm not necessarily trying to go all in on tokens uh, but your curve is definitely very 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 important in this deck so some cards that go up in value in red white you've got like token makers or things that bring multiple bodies so goblin instigator Gallant Cavalry, Militia Bugler is a card that you can play, Bugler as it were, <laughs> um, you can play and like ideally replaces itself with another creature in your hand. Bogart Brute is sort of a way to go wide. It's a three mana three two with Menace. And then there's also pump cards like mass pump cards. Angel of the Dawn is mass pump for your team. 
inspired charge, the two white, white plus two plus one of the team, make a stand, two and a white for the plus one plus oh and indestructible. Those cards are sort of key cards here. You want maybe one to two copies of the instant sorceries, as many copies of Angel as you could get your hand on. Volley Veteran really shines here, the three and a red for the four two that ETBs as a flame tongue kavu for the number of goblins you control. That has been outstanding. And I think combat tricks go up in value a ton in red, white as well. Like if you're just putting pressure on your opponent and they're forced to block, you turn sure strike into a removal spell or you turn mighty leap into a removal spell. So for me, like theoretically, since neither of us have done this, but I, this is sort of what I have in my head uh, as far as signal cards to move in on any of the three musketeers later than pick three. Like if I see pick three, Angel of the Dawn, Stag or Courser, Pegasus Courser, that is not Centaur Courser. I'm trying to be white. Like I really, really want to be white and attacking if I can in this format. Good removal in red and white uh, would be a way to get into this deck. And then you can just fill out the rest of the pieces for the deck with beat down creatures at common. And just sort of if you feel like red and white are open in your seat, because all the cars that go in this deck are common or uncommon. So if you've identified, I think specifically white as the open color in your seat, like red's a great color to pair with it and draft a very good aggressive deck with a low curve. Yeah, that all theoretically sounds correct to me. (laughs) Next up, we want to talk about Black Green Recursion. So this was a deck that last week I was saying I wasn't sure what this color pair was trying to do. And I've had a bit more experience with it this past week and seen some people posting trophy decks with it in Discord. And I feel like I have a better handle on what the deck is trying to do. And I think it's quite strong, though it is often just a pile of very good cards. So I think it's a grindy deck that wants to one for one with the opponent and then reap the benefit of graveyard recursion. I think there's often also life gain sub theme with uh, neonates and epicure of blood. You were talking about that last week about how you felt like Black had this self-contained life gain synergy package in those two cards. And I totally agree. And I think it's really serviceable in the Black Green deck because that deck is trying to go to the late game. So cards that go up in value in this archetype, I do think there is a sub Black Green Colossal Majesty deck because you've got Epicure of Blood in Black and you've also got the two-headed zombie the 4-2 with Menace. I think this is really the only home for that card, but I think it's pretty good and it's really slots into the idea of I know that I'm in this deck and then I get to wheel the 4-2 Menace because no one else wants it. Things that can recur from the graveyard, so Macabre Waltz is great in this deck. You've got a lot of Enter the Battlefield creatures in this kind of deck, so that also helps. And Gravedigger is a fantastic card to get, speaking of Enter the Battlefield effects and graveyard recursion. I think uh, a sacrifice outlet isn't so bad because you've got a lot of like, maybe you've got some little derpy creatures floating around. So I like Ravenous Harpy in this deck. I like things that affect the board or are sacrificable or chumpable in their own right. So I think Elvish Rejuvenator is just fine in this deck. Doomed Dissenter is just fine in this deck. And Reassembling Skeleton is just fine in this deck. Blood Divination is nice too if you've got those more like value small creatures like Skeleton or Rejuvenator. So you can get your card draw out of your black green deck that way and rabid bite is really nice because you're going to be playing those big creatures or maybe even some death touchers in the basilisk so i think this deck has a lot of pieces at common that may just feel like good cards but when assembling them together in a deck do sort of synergize in their own way yeah and then how how are you getting into this deck Well, probably the way that I'm getting into the deck most is starting with good removal in black. So getting some Lich's Caresses, um, getting some Skymarch Bloodletters, some strong commons. Don't really want to say Strangling Spores, but maybe if I'm lucky enough to get a Murder at Uncommon, that sort of thing. If I see Poison Tip Archer, that's the gold Uncommon for the deck. Pick four through eight, and I'm, you know, starting off the draft with a few black cards or a few green cards. That's going to be exciting. I mean, the last line of text on Poison Tip Archer is quite relevant. 
that can really cause your opponent to not have any sort of outs to combat. Like if they're just trading off or chumping or whatever, that that, that one damage that Poison Dip Archer does for each creature dying really starts to add up in the mid to late game. And powerful green and black uncommons. I mean, and there are a lot of them. And I think there are some synergy things as we talked about with, with the Majesty, with maybe having some chumpable bodies to go along with your harpy to get big, that sort of thing. I think there's a lot of moving pieces to this deck and a lot of those exist at common and uncommon. And I like that sort of value grindy deck because I think that can really survive in this format. Right, right. And I think, you know, if I'm trying to categorize in my head sort of just which color pairs generally are the ones that are wanting to slow the game down or maybe incentivized to try to slow the format down a little bit, I think it's black, green, blue, green, and blue, black. So like those Sultai color pairs, I think those are the ones that want to try to set themselves up to be mid-range or control decks and try to stop the people that are beating down. I think the other one that I would add to that list would be white, black. Yeah, I think it can go either way. I think that's the beauty of white, black. Agreed. Next on this list, we've got blue-black control. Uh, This deck's plan can vary quite a bit, but I think overarchingly, it's generally a control deck. You have access to a lot of powerful flyers. Uh, You have access to very good blockers. Wall of Mist, one in a blue for the 05, blocks super well in the early game. You've got card draw. You've got some of the best removal and interaction in the set in blue and black. And we have the Salvager of Secrets loop. What what do you do there, Ethan? Okay, so you cast Salvager of Secrets. You get back Disperse. You exchange your Salvager with your opponent's creature with Switcheroo. Then you use your Disperse to bounce your Salvager back to your hand. Rinse, repeat. There it is. You have it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the Salvager of Secrets wombo combo. So cards that go up in value in this archetype, I think uh, Salvager of Secrets is certainly a card once you've got good removal that goes way, way, way up in value and is most at home in blue-black switcheroo generally performs very well in blue black because ideally you've got walls of mists and omen speakers to help you shore up the early game and then later in the game you switch a room on out for your opponent's bomb or their dragon or whatever that they've got on their side of the battlefield gravedigger is a card that just is value recursion card advantage like so again you're trying to trade one for one and use card draw and two for ones to get yourself ahead of your opponent uh, so Sift falls in that category and Divination of ways to get ahead. Omen Speaker, Wall of Mist, those are generally your early blocking cards. And then it's really important to have enough finishers. I just finished a few drafts ago playing a blue-black deck, the 2 one and I was just a little bit light on finishers. And I had a Frilled Sea Serpent in my sideboard, and then I was finishing up these show notes, and I was like, why is this Frilled Sea Serpent in my sideboard? I need another finisher in this blue-black deck. So make sure you've got, like, I think three, three to four finishing cards like a Horizon Scholar or a Frilled Sea Serpent to help you close out the game, or better, rare ones if you are so fortunate. Um, But sort of how I get into the deck, Psychic Symbiont is a card that makes me maybe want to play blue-black. Like if I've got three or four blue cards to start a draft or three or four black cards and I see a Psychic Symbiont, that is a very powerful card that will sort of incentivize me to go towards blue-black. If I've got good removal, like a Murder and a Lich's Caress, and I wheel a Salvager of Secrets, you better believe I'm going to be trying to draft blue-black. And wheeling a card like Divination, just a card that is you know, two for one built in. It's going to help me hit my land drops, cast my powerful expensive cards. I have not drafted this deck a lot and not had a lot of success with it. And I was super high on it from sealed because I felt like because this deck relied so much on commons, you saw this deck a lot in sealed if your pools for blue and black were deep. But I haven't really had it come together for me in draft yet, but I'm still looking out for it. Yeah, I think the Starcrown Stag just punishes this deck pretty hard. I've, I've played it a couple times and I've I've not felt great about being the person that's not attacking. Yeah, I agree. Well, we're going to move on to another white deck for you. Black, white, life gain. I think this is one of the strongest decks in the format. I think it can outpace the aggro decks and then go toe to toe with the control decks. There are a lot of cards for this deck in the format. I think 
Vampire Neonate is a key piece. Your four and five drops can get clogged in a hurry in this deck, especially five drop. I mean, you've got your Lich's Caress, you've got your Epicure of Blood, and maybe you want an Angel of the Dawn, and maybe you've got some Uncommons there as well. Like, your five drop slot can get full in a hurry. Oh, of course, how could I forget the Regal Bloodlord, the Gold Uncommon? That also just clogs up that five drop slot. Yeah, and then there's Angel of Herald and the Vampire Siege Rhino. Like, those two cards are outstanding as well. Right, yeah, yeah. So your five drop slot gets clogged in a hurry, so something like Neonate is a nice breath of fresh air to uh, shore up that early game. Um, So you want to be selective about those five drops. Cards that go up in value in this archetype, there are a lot. So we've got the the most powerful black commons in our opinion, Lich's Caress, Skymarch Bloodletter, Vampire Neonate, and Epicure of Blood. Guess what? Those are all just great black cards, and they're all very, very good when you've got life gain synergies. Nightmare's Thirst. I think this is also just a fine card on its own as a cheap combat trick. I've been touting cheap interaction as uh, something that is rare in this format and something you want to look out for. And then if you've got life gain synergies, if you want to try and unlock that M19 treasure hunt achievement, Dying of Thirst, Nightmare's Thirst is the card for you. Other like common ways to gain life in Daybreak Chaplain and Dwarven Priest. A Johnny's Pride Mate is a card that keeps going up and up and up for me. Just being able to gain life once for it as a two mana three three is pretty strong in a format where two drops aren't very good. Laying in Vanguard as a fragile but repeatable way to gain life. Invoke the Divine main deck as a way to gain life. And I think I'm on main decking enchantment and artifact removal. And Fountain of Renewal is a fantastic card in this format. Again, a mana free way to gain life every turn. And then when you want to cash it in for a card later in the game, you can do so as well. Yeah, as far as main decking artifact and enchantment removal, I don't think I'm necessarily like looking to do it. But if I'm trying to pick a 22nd, 23rd card, those cards jump to the top of the list for me. But I am I really want to make sure I have access to it out of my sideboard for sure. And then like, you know, there are times because I feel like the power drop off is pretty steep in this format when you go from like, oh, I'm definitely playing my bomb rares and I'm playing my strong uncommons and my strong commons. And then I feel like you have a lot of filler choice sometimes and then that's when i go yeah i'll put an invoke in here right right so the signal cards to move into this archetype i think there are a lot or at least a lot that i consider signals and maybe that's bad but i just think this deck is so good and so deep because there are a lot of clunky commons that go up for you in this in this deck that i'm like well i want to look out for this deck because i feel like i can reap the benefits of getting cards on the wheel and not feeling like i'm scrapping for playables so certainly Pick three or later Regal Bloodlord, the gold uncommon in this color pair. Pick three or later a Johnny's Pride Mate. Uh, seeing late Nightmare's Thirsts, like pick four or later. Getting those Vampire Neonates criminally late, pick five through eight. Wheeling Epicure of Blood when you have Neonates. Though Epicure of Blood is going up for me uh, a lot. I like just grab, I think a five mana four four is good in this format. And I like grabbing this because I think there are so many ways to gain life that you'll get there if you grab this, if you see it late. I think it's only outstanding with the repeatable ones, though, right? Like having Sky March Bloodletter and an Epicure of Blood does not excite me particularly. Having having Fountain, Neonate, Leon, and Vanguard, those are the cards that excite me with Epicure. Yeah, for sure. Next deck moving on to is Green White Auras. I think people are off this deck, and I think they are wrong. <laughs> I think I think Green White Auras has been good, and I don't know that it always has to have auras, but Green White, even Green White Beatdown, has been very strong. Yeah. So Green White has access to some of those outstanding creatures in the format that are in white the three musketeers pegasus stag angel and it's also got some of the biggest creatures in the set out of green and you can just play it as like a curve out combat trick deck i've trophied with that type of deck you can also play it as going deep with Seder enchanters talons of wildwood and oaken form 
Um, and it's it's got a lot of synergy going on if you can pick up those uncommon payoffs for having the auras in your deck. So what kind of cards lead you into the various versions of green white? As far as like signaling, just like seeing a Seder Enchanter, I'm not super excited to move in on Seder Enchanter early, but if I see it late, you know, like picks five through eight, and I've got some green or white cards, I'm in for playing green white and trying to get some Oaken Forms and some Talons in my deck. And then that makes like just generically good cards like Luminous Bonds that you already want to put in your deck way better. Um, if I'm wheeling a Druid of Horns, that one's a little less good. There's been times I've been playing green white and I've just not found room for Druid of the Horns in my deck. Um, and Vine Mare is a card that actively makes me want to try to play green white because I think that's the deck it's most at home in. Mm-hmm. So if I see a Vine Mare anytime, pick three or later. And fun fact, so we've had we've got trophy stats in the Discord and one of our users compiled all of the most commonly seen uncommon cards in the trophy decks and most commonly seen rares in the trophy decks. And we've got about like 100 trophies or so posted in the trophy hype right now. And Vine Mare was top of the list of the uncommons. It had appeared in like 20 out of the 100 trophy decks or something like that. Isn't Hexproof just like a fun interactive mechanic? This format's great. I love it. <laughs> well, see, I've been the one with the Vine Mares, so it has been <laughs> it has been pretty great. Ugh, <laughs> gross. So and then cards that go up in value in this archetype, Talons of Wildwood, you know, and and the other auras like Oaken Form, Blanchwood Armor, if you're in a heavier green version, if you're not in a heavy green version, I think in general, I want Oaken Form just to be a guaranteed plus three plus three um, Nightly Valor is another aura that's just generally good that will go way up in value if you're in green white. And then some of the creatures to put those on like Vine Mare, Militia Bugler is a card that replaces itself that you don't mind slapping an Oaken form on. And then it has Vigilance, which is also a huge threat, and it's replaced itself. So if it gets Luminous Bonds or something, you don't feel as bad. You don't really feel like you got two for one. Pegasus Courser, I think, shines in green-white because you can jump your pantsed-up creatures over the enemy's defenses. And then just general removal, like Luminous Bonds, is actually better here if you've got the Seder Enchanter version of the deck. I would throw Rock's Oracle in the camp of cards that I don't feel bad throwing an aura on because it's replaced itself. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have had the privilege of playing with Triple Seder Enchanter twice, so I am partial to uh, to the Aura Matters version of the deck. But Green White Beats is very real and very good in this format, I think. Last archetype we want to talk about is Blue Red Spells. So we touched on this a little bit during the roundtable. This deck, I think, uses the handful of evasive threats that care about spells and the spells that can churn through your deck quickly and you create powerful attacking forces in the sky. Um, This is sort of also built as a draw-go control deck. It can operate almost entirely at instant speed. Cards that go up in value in this archetype, so I think the three spell payoffs are Gutter Snipe, Avon Wind Mage, and the headliner Enigma Drake. And then you've got a bunch of ways to have spells cast and have spells in your graveyard that replace themselves. So looking at Divination, Sift, Anticipate, Tormenting Voice, Crash Through, even Uncomfortable Chill sometimes. You've got good cheap interaction, Disperse, Shock, Essence Scatter, Electrify, even Cancel sometimes. Bone to Ash less so, but I think if you're a more controlling version of this deck, you can be fine throwing a Bone to Ash into into your deck. And then if you're looking at uh, trying to go later in the game, Salvager of Secrets, I think, really shines in this deck as a curve topper because you don't often have curve toppers in this deck. A lot of the benefit of this deck is that it is pretty low on the curve. All of your your spells are pretty cheap. All of the things that care about spells are pretty cheap. You can get kind of clogged at the three drop slot in this deck, considering that all of your Payoff cards are at three, and a lot of your engine cards are at three as well. Um, But this deck has been pretty strong 
for me the few times I've had it, and certainly pretty scary when my opponents have been playing it against me. This is the red deck I want to play most because it feels I've played against this a lot and it feels terrible to play against when your opponent's holding up like two red, three blue, like you just don't know what to do. If you play in if you play in a bone dash, you feel bad. If you pass and they electrify your threat, you feel bad. If you pass and they anticipate, you feel bad. Like it's just such a it's such a hard deck to play against because it operates at instant speed so much. And one of the great things about finding that this deck is open in your seat is that, again, this is what we seem to be saying a lot about the more powerful decks in the format, is that you're getting good cards on the wheel. No one else should want Crash Through. Very few other people should want Tormenting Voice. Very few other people that are in blue should want Avon Wind Mage. Like, you should be getting these good cards for your deck at common late in the pack. So it's going to give you a lot of moving pieces and a lot of options when you're building your deck and when you're sideboarding. And then how about getting into the archetype? What makes you draft blue-red? So I'd say definitely being in blue mostly because I'm not starting off my drafts red very often, but being in blue and seeing an Enigma Drake third or fourth, that gives me a little nudge towards that that deck. Wheeling Avon Wind Mages or good instants. Pick five through eight Gutter Snipes. I think Gutter Snipe is a real signal to this deck. I've seen some non-blue-red decks that have used Gutter Snipe to good effect, but really maybe just red-black because that's another color pair that cares about good spells or has access to good spells i should say yeah the old red black gutter snipe what is it vampire bite the one in a black <laughs> yeah three gain three that's like a lava axe with gain three attached to it yes please um speaking of i think maybe a copy of lava axe in this deck isn't the worst thing in the world i agree but yeah gutter snipe i think is a real powerful card in this format uh or at least in this deck and i think getting those late anticipates those late crash throughs those late cards that replace themselves that are spells for the Avon Wind Mages on being cast and spells in your yard for your Enigma Drakes. I think counter spells are kind of at an odd tension here, depending on how many Avon Wind Mages you have, because counter spells are not often going to trigger your Wind Mages. So you want to have those in combination with other instants that maybe you can pass and hold up mana for. But I think Essence Scatter is really at the top of the list. And then the other counter spells I would be wary of, depending on what your deck is looking to do. So that wraps up our like dive into the 10 main color pairs. We've also seen some other decks floating around that maybe we've had a chance to play with a little bit uh, or that our opponents have played against us that have seemed very good. And we might dive into these as the format goes a little deeper. But there, there's mill decks floating out there that have been strong. There's multicolor good stuff decks, you know, like with some mana lists, some gifts of paradise. And maybe if you're fortunate enough to get a couple of the more powerful elder dragons, things like that. Mono green we've played with and has been good white x beatdown i think you can build any white deck that's got pegasus courser stag as a beatdown deck paired with any other color pair with just combat tricks and have a great deck like that's always a good backup plan if you manage to get yourself into white um so but i think one of the key things to take away from like these archetypes is knowing what these archetypes do and especially the commons that go up in value in the archetypes should help you navigate your draft like if you're if you're seeing those cards that go up in value in a certain deck on the wheel, I think your feelers, your little antenna should perk up and think, uh, maybe that color pair is open. And I also think a way to be receptive to that is to not waffle so much early in the pack. I think if 
you know, you're talking a lot about trying to stay one color as long as possible. And I think that comes with being very confident in like power level differences so that you go, well, maybe this, maybe I'm taking a card that's slightly worse than Essence Scatter, but I'm not going to move into blue for Essence Scatter here because I think it's better to start my draft with four green cards, that sort of thing. So you have to be pretty confident that those are the correct decisions. But if you were making those correct decisions, I think waffling less early in the draft leaves you open to one, figuring out what color pairs best with your main color, slash being open to moving into a second color for whatever bomb you open or get past in pack two. Right. And not waffling doesn't mean like deciding you're going to be blue red in the first four picks. That's not what we're talking about. Like not waffling in the sense of like allowing yourself the opportunity to be any of the other three color or four, there's five colors. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> like allowing yourself to be any of the other four colors that pair well with that color that you've solidified yourself in as your base color. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it for the episode. Yeah. I think that is a ton of information. I unfortunately feel compelled to go draft M19 now. I know. I Well, and I can tell you, like after outlining, I worked on the show notes for a couple hours, like you did the bulk of the show notes, but then I was just like adding what I could and I was thinking about it a lot. When I went into my next draft, I was like, yeah, I feel like I know what's going on in this draft. Like it, it helped like outlining all this stuff. Yeah. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Who knows? You might find another gem at the end of this episode like we had last week. (laughs) Yeah, maybe more Easter eggs to come for sure. The M19 treasure hunt is underway. Uh, You can find that list in either of our Twitch chats or in, I think, the show notes for last week's episode. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. So if you complete five achievements, you will be entered in a giveaway for a draft set of the current format. You can get those to us by tweeting at us with hashtag M19 treasure hunt, tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited, tweet at me at Lord Tupperware, or tweet at Ben at Mr. Metronome. You can also find us streaming on Twitch. Ben will be finding you next week after second week of Bandcamp. Yeah, I should be back on. I managed a short stream last night. Might try to do a short one today. Ooh, baby. All right, so you can find him at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome, and you can find me at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. M19 has crushed your spirit. I'm so sorry, my friend.